village where I went, uh, I went out to eat with a youth pastor. And in Bible college, uh, we do what's called field education. So you get volunteer service hours, and you have to uh, do it in certain fields and stuff like that. So uh, I went with this youth pastor who I met through camp. So I, went, I grew up and I went to camp in the summers and things. So I met this youth pastor there. And, uh, and uh, I did my, was going to be doing my field education out at his church for that particular school year. And so we went out to Wimpy's on uh, Weber Street, and I remember it vividly. And, and he started talking about you know, the, the roles I could fit in uh, that uh, school year, uh, being a youth leader. I was pretty excited about it. But the conversation continued to talk about kind of the Jeremy he knew from camp. Uh, you know, up at camp, you're with kids, and i like really loud and wild and crazy, and was always kind of on. But I have an introverted side, too. I would be described as an extroverted introvert. And I was, you know, as a college student, learning that about myself. And I tried to describe that to him, sitting there eating our lunch and saying, actually, there's kind of more to me than that. I'd like more opportunity than just the wild, crazy guy to come in and, and be that kind of guy with the, with the students, which I was happy to do. And I remember as I was sitting there talking, I remember getting up. Uh, to, to walk into the washroom, and I remember thinking to myself, like, he's not listening at all. Like, he, he doesn't care that I'm sharing this part of myself, and, and no matter what I said, he seemed to have this, like, agenda he was focusing me into, and I felt, felt really um, overlooked, and I had a great time serving out there and stuff, but that particular thing stood out to me, even now, and, and I thought of that because today we're going to look at our second skill in our Playing Well with Others series. We're looking at skills, tools that can help us relate better to others in a more Christ-like way. And last week we looked at speaking the truth in love. And if you haven't gone back and listened to the, the, the podcast on whatever app you use or, or watch YouTube, I encourage you to do that because it really lays some good foundation for this week where we look at another skill. We, we all know what it's like not to be heard. All of us have had times at work or school or home or in relationships where we feel unheard. And when we feel unheard, we feel devalued. We feel like people don't get us. We feel like we don't matter. And so listening well to others actually matters deeply because it's a way that we can validate another person. It's a way we can be Jesus with skin on, be the hands and feet of Christ himself in another's life, even for a moment. And so today we're going to look at this second skill to help us play or relate well with others. This applies to every relationship you have. And if we can learn this skill well, it's actually something that you can apply every single day, a way that will both help you be more like Jesus and rest in your new nature being like Jesus already. It's something that Jesus has built into you, but we have to sometimes peel away all the layers, and we'll get into that. There, there's uh, lots of stuff in the New Testament on how to relate to others. And long before psychology and uh, long before we had, you know, TED Talks and, you know, all sorts of seminars and self-help books and, and podcasts and you name it about listening or relating well to others or sociology or any of these things, long before any of the modern stuff you might take in a business uh, or at school, or in a university, or class, or just self-help. Long before that, the Bible was talking about this skill already. Talking about listening. Jesus wants us to relate well to others. And so we're going to look at the book of James today. Now what you need to understand about James is, this is not, if you're familiar with the New Testament, this is not the disciple James, like James and John, the sons of thunder, who are one of three, uh, two of three of Jesus' closest friends. This is actually Jesus' half-brother. And I say half-brother because Jesus was fully God, fully human, born of Mary, born of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph wasn't actually a biological father. So any of his siblings, obviously younger siblings, because he was born first. Uh, so James is a younger half-brother of Jesus. And, and we don't have any indication in the New Testament at all that James followed Jesus. In fact, it seems likely that when Jesus was 
uh, teaching and his family came to gather him up and say, stop doing this. Like, we want to talk to you and take, like, enough, right? And Jesus said, actually, my family are those who do the will of my father. It would seem that he was likely one of the family members that came along with his mother. But as we look at the narrative through the New Testament, all of a sudden James has decided to follow Jesus post-resurrection. So he encountered the risen Christ somehow, some way, we don't know all the details, but he becomes a leader of the church. Imagine that. Uh, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in him while he's walking and teaching and healing, but after he rises, places his faith and becomes a leader in, in the early church. And we have a letter of his to the churches of, of, of that era and of that area. And at that point in his life, James is older. He's experienced a lot. He's been through all the stuff. He's seen Jesus not from a point of belief while he ministered and then followed him just like many others after his resurrection. And he writes this letter. He's older and he's wise and he shares as a grandfather figure. In fact, the passage that we read, he'll even talk in that way. He, he says, my, my dear children or my dear brothers and sisters, very spiritual family. So what I want you to do is we uh, start to head towards this passage. Imagine yourself sitting in, in the home of James. We'll modernize this. And he's, he's an older grandfather figure in your life. And you go into his den and there's a fire in the fireplace and he's got tea and coffee and biscuits and he's in one chair and you're in another. And he leans forward and he shares something out of the depth of his knowledge and wisdom and life experience that he knows will help you every day. And here's what he says. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear spiritual children, you need this. You must be, uh, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So let's break down what James says a little bit, uh, piece by piece, word by word, almost. When he says all, he's not just meaning everyone. He's talking about your whole being. So let us all, with everything we are, be quick to listen. That term be just doesn't mean like in a situation, hey, if you think of it, you know, uh, you know in, in this situation, maybe this situation. It's a state of being. Let us all, with everything we are at the very core of our being, who we are in Christ Jesus, let's all be quick to listen. This is a way to respond and live out of our new nature. Before Christ, we have a, a human nature, a sinful nature that, um, though created in the image of God, has a propensity to be drawn away from God because of the power of sin. The moment of belief, we get a new spiritual nature. The old is gone, the new has come. But we have old patterns of behavior and attitudes and character qualities that still hang around. And we get fooled into thinking that's who we are. But we're not anymore, but we have to shed those. And so James is saying, look, with all you are, be this way. What are you to be? Quick. Be quick to listen without delay. The, the first thing you do. So the way to think about your character is your default behaviors. And so because we have the character of Christ, the way Christ is transforming us, not that we are not there and have to attain to something, but he's made us that way already, but we have to get rid of all this old pattern stuff we're used to. And so we learn these new ways. And so be quick, be default. Have it as your first thing you do with another person. Be quick to what? Listen. Now this word listen, it's a very active word. It's a, it's a meaning word. It's an intent word. It's not something that's kind of passive and kind of happens. He didn't say, Hey, guys, when you get with people, open up your ears a little bit. He says, all that you are, be quick first, default to listen, to, to, to seek to understand them. Now, when I heard this, I, I thought of, if you know the musical Hamilton, the, the main character is kind of the, the guys at odds, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. 
Aaron Burr always tells Alexander Hamilton, hey, look, smile more, talk less. Sounds like he's saying, hey, listen to others. But what he's really doing is he's saying, be sneaky, hold your cards to your chest. Don't let anyone know what you're thinking so you can do what you want. His advice is actually to be more selfish, self-focused. That's not listening. James isn't saying that. James isn't just saying, hey, when you're with others, keep your mouth shut. Don't let them know what you're thinking. He's actually encouraging us in our nature to have a different posture, a different way of being towards other people than what would come naturally to our human or our sinful nature. And he says, be quick to listen. But there's a few things he says, be slow in. And no, we're not going to focus on the slow to speak. We talked about speaking last week. We're not going to focus too much on this slow to get angry. Maybe another time we'll look at this anger part. Um, being slow to speak is important, to be quick to listen. It means to put things in your way <laughs> to do what comes natural. When we are talking with someone, we want to talk. I like to learn. I love to learn when I learn something, especially when it's a tech thing or like a, like a hack or a tip or a trick. I like to share it with others. And others don't always want to know that. <laughs> so I have to sometimes recognize what I'm excited about, especially when it comes to my wife. She might not be as excited about this tech little hack. Did you know this app or this you know, gesture? You can do this. And it's like, big deal, right? Uh, so we're to be slow to speak, slow to put our agenda onto someone else. But it's important we understand this slow to become angry. Though we're not focusing on the anger part of this, it actually plays into listening and plays a big part in the whole. Uh, the word anger, the, the, in, in the Greek, the same Greek word is used for anger twice in these verses. And uh, the term for anger here actually means like intense wrath, hot burning anger. And so James is saying, when you're relating to others, be quick to listen, but be slow to speak and get really offended and angry. Don't, don't just like be reactionary. Don't be quick-tempered. We all know people, and maybe you're that way too. There are different people struggle with different things in their life, and maybe this is for you. If we if we just kind of fire off and speak and don't listen and become angry, we're really not posturing ourselves like Jesus. Um, but anger isn't wrong. Right? So the New Testament teaches, in your anger, don't sin. And here's another one. Don't be quick to get angry. But Jesus got angry. In fact, anger is a healthy emotion that alerts us to injustice or wrong. If we don't get angry when someone else is treated poorly, we don't actually love them or care for them how we respond to that anger is different. And so Jesus walks into a temple, into the temple, and in the Gentile court, the only place where non-Jews can go to worship. It's filled with animals for sacrifices and temple people changing over uh, the common money for temple money to buy animals. And he gets in there and he has a passion, a zeal for the house of the Lord and for those who need to come and discover his father. Come close through him. And they have no place to do that. And it angers him. And he flips the tables and he cracks a whip to get the animals out there. If you ever work with animals, sometimes they need a little bit of help to understand where to go and what to do. And so he does that. Seems like he loses his mind. But in that, he never sins. He stands up with the appropriate, without losing control, amount of emotion to address that need. And in there, we discover... God's nature in Jesus. And as we are quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry, we actually embody the very nature of God. Moses, when he was leading God's people, asked to know who he would say, like, who do I say is sending me? How do I go to these people and describe who you are, God? He said, let me see you face to face. And God says, if you see me face to face, you're going to die. But I will pass by you. I'll cover you and I'll pass by you. And then you can say, I meet with God. This is who we follow. Here's what we find in Exodus 34. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. This is what the Lord said about himself. Here's who I am, Moses. Moses said, who are you? And he says, I, I, I am. And now he expands on that. I am everything you need. I am Yahweh, the Lord, 
the God of what? Compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. In our posture to others, if we are not slow to become angry, we're missing out on an opportunity to be more Christ-like with them and to them. And so in our human anger, James says, our human anger, our human nature, our sin-drawn nature to become quickly angry, easily offended, and let everybody know what they, you know, what we want them to know right away without concern for how they would receive it or what it will do. That kind of anger doesn't bring about the righteousness that God wants. In fact, God's anger brings about righteousness, holiness, good things, his plan. And so James is saying that kind of anger has no place in relationships. So if you are a person who is slow to listen, and you talk really quick, and you're quick to get angry, there's some work to do. So I think a good summary of what James is trying to say is this. Your attitude as a listener is as important as your action as a listener. Okay? So your attitude, how you view the other person, your attitude as a listener is as important as the action as a listener. Because if you've been to any type of listening seminars or a book or you've been somewhere and someone says, you need to be a better listener, or if you've had someone come to you and say, you're not listening, <laughs> like, listen to me, you might just jump right to practical skills. There's lots of practical skills, and in fact, we're going to get there this morning. But what James is saying is that in order to be more Christ-like in our listening, to be a better active listener, to be a better incarnational listener, all that means is to be present. Jesus is the incarnation of God, God with us, God present with us. If we're going to be incarnational or present in our listening, if we're going to listen to others the way Jesus listens to us, we need to have the right attitude towards others, the same attitude that others would need from God, the same attitude God has towards us. So how do we begin? We'll go back to verse 21 in James 1 here. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. What? How do you become a good listener? Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word uh, God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. In other words, you want to begin to, ha begin to listen to others well. If you want to be quick to listen, you start here in your own heart. And you get rid of all that sin nature stuff that's still hanging around. All your old patterns, your, all your old attitudes, all your old preconceptions about how you view the other people around you. Instead, get a hold of your sinful behaviors because as you gain victory over the things internally and externally, where you're where you're not, where you're missing the mark, where you're not walking in God's ways, where you're not doing his best for you, what he wants best for you. As you gain victory over those areas, you begin to know how to have victory in the deeper things, like the attitudes and the character pieces that just kind of seem to come up when we encounter a person you don't necessarily like, or someone you're not overly interested in. And as you get rid of all that stuff, it changes your default, who you are in Christ. And then out of that, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our actions are determined by what's going on internally. And so James says, get your life straight with God. Deal with some of these sinful things so that you can walk and live more in who you already are in Christ. And as those things get in line, as the gospel, the word that God has planted in your heart, the power of Jesus to save, the gospel, the good news, it has power to save, it has power to transform, it changes us. So we start there. So what is the attitude of Jesus towards others? Well, we know that. Paul writes it in Philippians 2. This is actually some of my favorite verses. When I was at camp, that crazy kid and you kind of on all the time. At the end of the week, inevitably, kids want, you know, your address and a little verse and stuff. We're all encouraged. I always put Philippians 2.5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so this is an incredibly important passage. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 3. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. How often are we you know, communicating with someone and we're just like about our own stuff and what we want to say. And we want to impress them and make them seem, you know, us seem knowledgeable. Or maybe we want to seem kind or whatever persona we want. We often do that. But don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. It's interesting that James says, humble yourself to the power of the gospel so that it transforms you. Jesus, uh, Paul is saying the same thing. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, let me put a qualifier on here. Second greatest command according to Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself. It's not that you put yourself down. It's not that you ignore your needs. You, 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 know, you don't tend uh, to your own being. It means you consider others as better than yourself. You consider their needs above your own. Not in detriment to your own. But this is what Jesus did. So, uh, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4, don't look out only for your own interests. That is the default, natural way we would be as humans without Jesus. Or some people kind of, depending on their family of origin and how they're raised, because we bear the image of God, some people are better at this than others. We all have propensity towards certain sins. We all bear the image of God a little bit better in different areas. So you may struggle with this, you may not, but it is typical to look out for your own interests. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's his attitude. And then Paul goes on to say, Jesus, being the Son of God, did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped. Instead, he set aside or limited his divinity. He didn't throw it away. It wasn't gone. He limited it. And he humbled himself below angels. And he humbled himself below humans. In fact, he died a criminal's death on a cross for our sake. He put us first. The attitude we ought to have to be good listeners is starting from a place of considering others above ourselves, considering the needs, the thoughts of others, not being so concerned about me, what I want to communicate, my own self-interest and how I look to them. If I want to be incarnational, if I want to be present like Jesus with others, I need to be willing to put all that aside and be like Jesus. I'm not Jesus to them, but I can be like him in my attitude and character. There's a big difference in attitude when listening. If you don't truly care for a person, you can't truly listen. If you don't truly care for a person, you actually can't speak anything deep or meaningful either. It's time to speak. So, attitude is important. Your attitude as a listener is as important as your actions. So let's get into some uh, tips on listening. Now th this is something, and I, I can't stress enough, we start with attitude, okay? We start with attitude, who you are in Christ and how you view others. Learning to view others as Christ does, you deal with your own stuff, your sin, put that under victory so that the rest of you can abide in Christ, grow up in him so you can listen better. But that doesn't mean you can't learn some tips, tricks, and tools. But if you only try the tips, tricks, and tools, you can only hold it together for so long. Because if your attitude towards others is not Christ-like, you can't be a Christ-like listener. Now, this is important to me because I've noticed this in my life for a while. I need to grow in my listening skills. So for a number of years, I've read some books and looked into resources and had some conversations and watched some videos. But this fall, I decided to double down on that. And so I looked into a number of resources. And I'm going to share some from the two best. So I kind of sifted through all the things I've learned. And the, the two best. The first one is the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, both the course and the book has a lot in there about how we treat others, how we're present with others, and how to be an active listener. In fact, in the Emotionally Healthy Relationship course, one night is dedicated, one of our, uh, our evening gatherings, just to learning to be an incarnational leader. Why, what, and how, so that you can practice and do that in your everyday life. So Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The second is a, a woman by the name of Laura Dewey. She is a uh, spiritual psychologist. Um, I, I don't know what uh, kind of faith, Christianity leanings she has somewhere in there, whether she's Catholic or Protestant, but she's from a faith base and shares some good things. So I kind of amalgamated a bunch of things I've learned, some of the tools I've been trying to learn and practice so that you can learn that too. But what gets in the way first? What on earth gets in the way of 
incarnational or active listening? Well, first of all, we live in a culture um, that prioritizes task and doing over being. I, I learned this best uh, growing up in the city and then marrying someone who grew up on a farm. And on a farm, if you're out in the yard and somebody else pulls in, whether they're a feed salesman or whatever, it doesn't matter what you're doing unless the rain's coming. You, you take some time. You visit. You shoot the breeze. You might sit on the porch. You know, sometimes you, know, you, you don't really want that, but that's kind of the nature. And I wasn't used to that. We tend to prioritize task over being. Um, we also haven't had presence, being present with someone modeled very well. Lots of us have never really had that modeled, whether it's in our home or workplace or school. Just often we haven't had it modeled. Something else is our over-reliance on technology. We, we just have technology all the time. Our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our ears, the internal and external stuff is always on. And so we're distracted and pulled in a million different directions. It's hard to listen to someone. We're just not trained in that. Um, there's distractions. So there's mental and physical distractions, aren't there? So, uh, look, my brain is like 50 different places at once, and it's really hard for me to focus it in. And I have, I, I like what this uh, psychologist says, because I have it too. She has uh, shiny object syndrome. You know what that is? So you're talking to someone, and, and it catches your eye, and your eyes leave theirs, and I've known it. I see it. When I'm talking to someone and my eye gets so the worst is when I'm at a coffee shop and I'm sitting facing the door and people are coming in. I just kind of glance now and then because, you know, there's movement and I glance. The moment when I see them break eye contact with me and look to see what I'm looking at, I know I'm done. I'm like, oh, pull it together. Like, stop being so distracted. So we have these mental and these physical distractions that keep us from focusing and listening. Here's a tough one. We're disinterested. James talks about that. Sometimes we don't really care, or we don't want to care about what the person is talking about. Sometimes it's deep enough, we don't really care about the person. That can't be, but it's a reality, and we need to work on that in our attitude. We have an agenda, just like I shared, sitting at that burger place. Sometimes when you're listening to someone, eh, you're just listening quickly because you've got an agenda. You're asking questions, you, don't re you want to put something on them. We're busy. We're rushed to the point. We're like, oh, okay, I gotta get going, so let's hurry this up. What's the bottom line here? What do, what do I need to do all so I can get out of here? And so we're busy and we're rushed. We have conscious or unconscious bias. What does that mean? Sometimes we're aware of a bias, the way we look at a situation, a topic. We're not willing to really listen because we already have our mind made up. Whether it is something they're doing, something they believe, whatever it is. So sometimes we have unconscious, we're not really aware of it, but it comes out in how we speak and treat others. Sometimes it's, it's conscious and we know it. And so that impacts our listening because we don't really want the conversation to go in certain ways and we really don't want to give respect or dignity to someone who would share something different to us. But this is by far the worst and the most difficult to spot and overcome. It's that we listen autobiographically. What does that mean? It means we listen through the filter of our experience. So when you hear someone say, hey, uh, you know, just got back from a vacation. I went to such and such a place. And you went to such and such a place. You don't tend to sit there and go, tell me all about it. What's going through your mind is, my trip, what I went, the restaurants I went to, what do you say? Did you go to this cafe? Did you see this thing? Wasn't that sunset great? Were you in this hotel? I was here. Oftentimes our listening is just like whoop, cut out and we're like, uh, or even if we are listening, it's through the filter or the grid of our own experience. And so um, we need to make sure that we're not doing that because what we naturally want to do is relate to them. Think about it. When you go into a new workplace and you're getting to know people, all of a sudden you find that one person who has the same hobby as you. You're like instantly connected. You're best friends, right? You relate. But if you find out that person who has that hobby has a different opinion or does it in a different way or doesn't like the way you do it, you're like, what? You're instantly trying to relate. We as human beings just try to put together patterns and look for commonalities to 
get along. So we naturally look for ways to relate. But here's what happens. When we find a relation, so if we find something that we can relate to, we instantly assume that they have had the same experience as us and that they feel about it the same way. So you find out someone went to the same vacation area as you. And instantly you're thinking, man, that was great, that was wonderful. And as they start sharing, they have this horrible time. And you're thinking, what's wrong with them? It's great. Or that restaurant, don't you love their steak? That's the worst steak I've ever had. What's wrong with you? It's a great steak. We filter it through this, you know, our, our own autobiographical experience. Here's the other things we do. When we listen autobiographically, we evaluate good or bad. Are they good? Like, are they bad because they don't believe the same way, didn't have the same experience? So we evaluate that. We probe. So rather than asking general questions, oftentimes autobiographical listening, we're probing to see if they have had the same questions. So maybe we're not as blunt as, hey, did you go to this restaurant and do this thing? Where did you eat? That's a great question. But not if you're looking to see if they ate at that restaurant you really like so you can connect with them. Um, the other thing we do is we advise. Okay, so um, I, uh, this Laura Dewey talks about uh, four different ladies who uh, talk about the experience of receiving flowers, and each one of them uh, from, from their husband, and each one of them have a different point of view. And the one lady, when she hears that, th the, the first lady shares, oh, my husband, he, he gave me a dozen roses last night. And most of them think that's a wonderful thing. But a woman who had been divorced several times, her experience with receiving roses was to cover up the fact that a previous spouse was having an affair. And so instantly, her assumption was, this is a bad thing. And so she begins to give advice. Oh man, you're going to want to keep an eye on him. That's a bad, and then it was like, what? what? But when we listen autobiographically, instead of to the experience of the other person, we are more willing to give advice that we shouldn't give. And we interpret, don't we? We interpret. We're not really listening to what they're saying. We're trying to interpret, oh, what they mean is this, because it's the same thing as me. We do want commonalities. It is. We tend to hang around people and get along best with people who like stuff we do. Probably if you like you know, sailing, you're not going to hang out with someone who only wants to go rock climbing. If someone who likes video games most of the time is probably not going to hang out as much with someone who does a marathon. That's just kind of life. But it doesn't mean you can't. But we look for these commonalities. And when we listen autobiographically, um, especially when we're not aware of this, it really puts a hindrance in listening well. So what are some of the things we can do to do this well? And remember, I'm sharing these as tips and tools, but they are on the foundation of an attitude more like Christ. If you don't have Christ-like attitude and you don't have the attitude towards him, you're not going to be able to hold these uh, in, in great accomplishment. I mean, you're just going to be trying your best to do good things. It's going to fizzle. If you try and do good active listening, uh, but you have a disdain for the person, it's, it's just not going to work. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to share six things today. First, connect beyond the noise. So I'm already talked about all this distraction. Connect beyond the, the noise. Um, we get distracted internally, externally, and so what I encourage you to do is to consciously um, try and be present. So consciously attempt to give your full attention. And the way you can practice that, interestingly enough, is practice doing one thing at a time. How many of you do one thing at a time, ever? None of us do. Nobody does that. Students. How many of you do your essay, and only your essay, without Netflix, Spotify, and your phone? Like, you do like all these things. Practice doing one thing so you get used to doing one thing. And once you learn to do one thing and shut off all the other stuff, you're going to be a better listener. Be present to yourself. You can't be present to someone else and pick up on their body language and listen without being autobiographical and all these things if you haven't learned to be present to yourself. Pay attention to your feelings. How am I feeling about something? You know, what's it like in, in the room? What's going on in my heart? Like, pay attention to yourself. Those who don't know how to even be present to themselves, they can't possibly be present to others. You don't know how you're feeling. You, you can't pick up on the cues in the room or your own body language or how someone else's response to you makes you feel. Pay attention to that. 
See each person as a thou and not an it. This is from emotionally healthy spirituality. Sometimes we see people as a project or a means to an end, or we've just got to talk to that person because I need to get that X information for this thing at work. Treat them as a person, made in God's image. They are a thou and not an it. They're not a piece of information to get. They're not something you Google quickly and just wait for that response and then get out of there. They are a person. Try and have real eye contact. I picked up on this in the fall. I went out with someone who I'd been online in a pastor's mentoring group for about seven years. He's only in Newmarket, and we've never actually connected. So we decided we'll go for a meal. It was great. We were talking, sharing another pastor. It was just wonderful. But I, I remember we were really connected deep, and, and like we talk online and stuff like that with this group. But I caught myself at one point. We were really making a lot of eye contact. And it unnerved me. <laughs> Specifically, I was like, oh, this is really weird. Shouldn't be weird, but we're just not used to it. Try and make real eye contact because it matters. Do, do yourself a favor if you um, want to try and connect beyond noise. And when you listen to someone, do your best not to fix them, uh, not to save them, and not to set them straight. Oh, that's hard, right? You're not fixing them, you're not saving them, you're not setting them straight. There are times as a fellow believer where we need to speak the truth in love. We talked about that. But there are times we just need to be present. Think about God. If every time you prayed, God knowing the deepest parts of your heart, the stuff you don't even know, the stuff you're not even aware of, went, thanks, hold on. I know you're talking right now, but we got a beef. All right? I got some stuff to talk to you about. Uh, I'm going to just lay all this stuff out that you, you didn't do this right, and this right, and this right, and this right, and you got this... We wouldn't feel very loved, would we? So God doesn't do that to us. He knows when it's the right time to convict and confront and do it in a loving way. So we need to practice some of that. Secondly, seek first to understand, then be understood. This is from Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have your whole purpose as you're listening to someone to first, be, to first understand them before you want to be understood. When we're talking with someone, often when they're sharing something, we're formulating the answer. And so we need to do well to seek first to um, understand. Um, avoid the judgment and the interpreting and all that kind of stuff that we tend to do. Um, listen as, as best you can as a blank slate. Just listen. What you're trying to do is, is at least at a first stage, step into their shoes. But the real goal of listening is to understand them. And understanding happens when we begin to feel as they do about that thing. An emotional connection. Jesus did that. Why do you think people could come to Jesus and, and admit to him their sin? And he would convict and challenge, but he loved and listened and he understood. That's deep incarnational listening. Third, perception checking. Perception checking. So, um, Confirm some understanding. It's good to do something like uh, reflecting and clarifying. So reflecting and clarifying is, is uh, making a summary and asking a question. So saying something midway, if, you know, just to clarify. What I think I hear you saying is, too often we jump to what you're saying is. And we tell the other. Nobody wants to be told what they believe or said. But it's, it's good to clarify. What, listen, what I think you're saying is, like, do I have this straight? Am, am I getting that right? What you're saying about this resort is you, you loved it and you had the time of your life until, and then you felt, am, am I hearing this? Because then you can go to deeper understanding. Um, you can also ask questions like uh, a little bit further. Tell me more about that. Man, we love that. When someone says, tell me more about that, that shows that the person listening is engaged and cares and that were valued. Ask open-ended questions. Open-ended questions are simple. If your question can be answered with a yes or a no, don't ask it, unless you need to. I mean, like, was the taxi cab yellow? Like, I don't know. But usually open-ended questions are better because, again, it's that posture of really caring. Like, we really want to know. We leave them to guide us through a pathway of curiosity so that we can understand what they're trying to communicate. We only truly hear if we understand what they intended for us to hear. That's communication.
Silence. That's a hard one. Silence and stillness is actually one of the most important parts of our relationship with God. Be still and know that I am God. Being able to be still in his presence. Listen to him instead of all the talking and busyness and God do this and I want this. And it's the same with another person. Oftentimes when we're talking with someone, we're formulating an answer. In fact, there's an unwritten rule in society, right? That if someone says something, I don't really feel we've got to have an answer right away. Like, I've got to fix it or answer. Especially, I'm going to say this, at least for me, I think it's typical of men. Maybe I'm not typical of men, but I think men tend to like to fix things. And so sometimes when we're listening, we're already formulating the answer. And I can fix that. And sometimes when someone's sharing with us, they just want to be heard and understood. And so... Silence is an important tool for that. In fact, when people are silent, you can better formulate a good response and you can better hear what God is speaking underneath the conversation. Even a second or two pause to go slowly. Okay? What did James say? Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. So being comfortable, learning to be comfortable with silence and stillness with someone and just being present is an incredibly important skill to be a good listener. And finally, a focused understanding. Focused understanding. As you're drawing to what might seem to be the end of a conversation, especially on something deeper, you could ask something along the lines of, like, I'm so glad we talked today. Like, we talked about a lot of everything we've talked about today. Like, what's the one thing you want me to remember most? Or what's the the one thing you want me to... I just want to make sure I get it. Like, because sometimes we have a tendency to grasp onto the wrong thing, right? We're like, we hold on to a fact or a detail, and then our minds wander for like 10 minutes going down the pathway of autobiographical listening, and their mouth is moving, and we're nodding our heads, and we get to the end, and we walk away... And someone says, hey, I saw you talking to so-and-so. What did they talk about? And you may go, well, it was about this. And you see them again, and you're like, hey, I'm so glad we talked about... Well, that's not what we talked about. We want to know that we know that we're hearing what they want to understand. We all know we should be better listeners. All of us. We all know that. But few people take time to grow in this skill. Um, We've all learned patterns of poor listening. All of us. All of us have learned some patterns of poor listening, and all of us need to have those patterns remade. And the good thing is that Jesus is the best listener. And those who are followers of Jesus, we've been made new. And he will take those old patterns. In the same way he deals with sinful attitudes and character and behaviors, the stuff that gets in the way of us truly being incarnational, present with someone. And I'm not using these kind of more psychological phrases in some sort of mumble-jumble way. I, I actually mean that, being present with someone, being how Jesus is with us. It's how we be people helping people to find and follow Jesus. It is a moment in our day where we can actually be Christ-like without sharing the gospel, without feeling we need to do something. We just... Be And that's, Jesus often starts that. People come to him and it's his response to them, his presence with them, his presence with us that makes all the difference. Your attitude as a listener is as important as your actions as a listener. Your attitude as a listener is as important as your actions. So we need to have this attitude underneath of how we treat others. So I want to encourage you to um, think about three questions, and we'll post these um, in the Country Hills Connection group and in social media. If you're not a part of the Country Hills Facebook Connection group, it's how we as a church family um, uh, share stuff together and, and, and things that might not uh, be, well, they're just a little bit different than the email that goes out widely. But we'll have these posted this week in a number of places. So I want you to think of these. What sinful pattern might I need to bring to Jesus to be more like him? So if we're going to start with attitude, think about your life. What, what sinful pattern might I need to bring to Jesus to be more like him? Secondly, what is my attitude towards others in general? <laughs> That's a tough one. Like, how do I consider people? Do I like people? Uh, do I not like people? What kinds of people do you like? What kinds of people don't you like? What specific people don't you like? Like, what's my attitude towards others? But you have to be getting a hold of these sinful patterns of behavior. What about people? What's my attitude? And finally, 
What skill or action could I learn or improve to listen better? What, like, what skill or action of the things I've mentioned could I, could I learn or improve uh, to do better? Let me go over those again. So connecting beyond the noise to get past the distractions. Seeking first to understand before being understood. Perception checking, make sure you have it correct. Ask open-ended questions, have silence, and have some focused understanding. But ask those questions about your, your, your behavior and character sin. Ask about how your attitude towards others is, and consider what you might need to learn or improve to be a better listener. This is such an important skill. And uh, as Kelly comes, um, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And I encourage you to consider those three questions as we as we partake today. Now, communion is something Jesus put in place on the night he was betrayed. He took a Jewish practice of Passover that pointed towards freedom from slavery in Egypt, which is where Moses, as we talked about in Exodus 34, led the people out of. And so the Jewish people would have this Passover meal in the same way they had a Passover meal coming out of Egypt. And so it had unleavened bread and they would have wine. And Jesus took these things and he said, you know, uh, these are going to become a new symbol of a new way to God, a new way to relate to God, a new covenant. And it's going to be about me. And so Paul the Apostle writes the Corinthian church with instructions for how to partake in communion, this thing that Jesus says, a tactile object lesson. 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is a cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. It's a time for renewal. It's a time for remembrance. And so he said, this bread and this cup represents my body and my blood shed for you, that there's a new way, a new covenant. And as we talk about living and acting in a new way, we come to the Lord's table. Now, this isn't limited to those who are members of Country Hills Church, but it is for those who are followers of Jesus, who decide to believe in, receive, and follow Jesus. And if you've not done that, then what better time this morning, if the Lord's stirring in your heart, if you've been discovering Jesus and considering following him, then this morning it's just a, a simple prayer that I believe and I want to follow you. Now, I'm going to pray in a moment, and we're just going to have some silence uh, while Kelly plays. But these things are noisy. So let's all open them up now so we don't have, if you don't know how to open them, uh, there's two layers to peel off, one for the bread and one for the cup. So I encourage you to just open them up as we go. And then we'll partake together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that you always consider us. Jesus, that you weren't too high or too good to stay on your throne in heaven, but humbled yourself. And may we follow your example to humble ourselves before others. May we be good incarnational listeners, not because psychologists say so, not because it's good for families or homes, but because those are some of the results, but primarily because it's how you are to us and it's how you call us to be to one another. Lord, may we be a different kind of people in this church family and in the church in general, that we would be people who look and see and understand and hear others whether we agree or disagree, whether they have um, some measures of uh, having parts of their life together or are completely broken. We thank you that you see us, you hear us, you understand us, and you invite us to come and be still with you, to bring every care to you, and may we have that same posture to others who need you and who may discard you or reject you if we reject them. Help us to be good listeners. We thank you, Jesus, for your body and your blood broken for us, not only so we might live forever, be resurrected, but also so we might be resurrected today and live new. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you eat and drink together as you're ready?
we thank you. We bless you. We can be made new only because of you. We can live new and listen new only as we walk in your strength, only as we abide in you, only as we take our propensity towards old ways of being slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to fly off the handle and burn with hot anger towards one another to easy offense and being in little spit-spat fights and ignoring others, looking to our only interests. But may we be different. May we in this church and me, may we as the church in the world be ones who are quick to listen, very slow to speak, very slow to become offended and burn with anger towards others. May others feel deeply known and understood. And as we learn to listen as you do, as you listen to us, may we create sense of belonging and may others see in us the truth of the gospel at work in our lives. We ask for a wonderful week. Help us to be good listeners to one another and others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. If you are newer and you'd like to come downstairs, we're going to get started as soon as we can. If you're able to stack chairs, that'd be wonderful. And online, if we don't know you and you're not coming to the newish thing, please reach out. We'd love to uh, get to know you and find out who's watching and help you in your faith journey. Lord bless you as you go.